Vincent Werbeck's Derby. Um, as Phil said, I'm uh, kicking off our uh, series on our 5G core principles. And it's the 5Gs because they all begin with G, believe it or not. And so we're kicking off uh, tonight with grace as our first core principle. And then we've got, I don't know if I meant to give them away, uh, we've got generosity, gratitude, growth, and gatherings. And those are our five uh, core principles. And core principles are so important because uh, whether it's for a workplace or a family or a sports club, but for us as a church, some Werbergs, they give us a sense of commonality. They give us a sense of shared vision and identity and a sense of actually this is who we are. This is what makes us us as a community, um, as a church. And the dictionary defines the word principle, a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation of a system of belief and behavior. And it says a core principle, um, so it helps you define the identity and behavior of a community. So this really is twofold as we go through the next five weeks. We're trying to uh, get to the nitty gritty of what makes our identity, number one, and also uh, how we behave uh, in terms of shaping um, our identity as a community and what we want to become. Because it's one thing saying we have these five core principles, but actually what's more powerful is when we live them out. Saying, oh yeah, we do this, we're generous people, we're, we're graceful, we show gratitude. It's one thing to be able to say it, that only takes us so far in having an impact in our world. But actually living them out naturally as who we are, as followers of Jesus, a community that gathers here in St. Werbergs in Derby's, that is where the real transformation uh, will take place. You could, I imagine, very quickly work out my own core principles by having a look at my diary and working out what I do on a day-to-day basis um, and how I spend my free time. And also how I spend my money. You could look at my diary at work, my free time diary, and my bank balance. Uh, Not bank balance, that wouldn't be pretty. Uh, My bank statement. And you could work out exactly, uh, really, probably what my core principles are. It's one thing to be able to say what they are. It's another thing actually living them out. And our goal over these five weeks is not to walk away having memorized what our five core principles are, but actually to go away each Sunday thinking and dwelling on the nitty gritty of how do we be grace-filled people? How do we be people that show gratitude? How do we be a generous people? And how can that transform our city, our workplaces, our families, our sports clubs? Because that really is the goal of having these five core principles. They're not just nice ideas. They lead to transformation in us, which leads to transformation in our community. Um, And grace... Grace is so broad. It really is the essence of Christianity. We could, we could do a five-week series just on grace. We're not doing that. Uh, and so I want to really iron out exactly what our focus is this evening. We're going to spend the first few minutes just working out exactly what is grace. So that's going to be our first few minutes. And then we're going to go on to, for the, the second part of this talk, really think together, what does it mean to live gracefully? So this uh, talk tonight is titled, Got Grace, Give Grace. So the idea that we as Christians, people who follow Jesus, we receive a grace. We're going to work out what that is. And then we go on to live out grace. And how do we do that? Because that's the bit that affects us at having these five core principles. And it is so important that grace is one of our core principles. And that we truly begin to grasp the depth and the richness and the wonder and the audacity of grace. Uh, Philip Yancey, who, who wrote maybe one of the most famous books on grace in our generation, um, he was once asked in an interview, 
Um, What is the one thing the church has to offer that the world cannot get anywhere else? And he answered straight away, and grace was his answer. No hesitation, no consideration of anything else. He said, grace. Because there are plenty of non-Christians, plenty of other religious organizations that provide care for the poor and the homeless, that work for social justice, that provide inclusive communities, that donate to charity and give wise life advice. There's plenty of other places you can find that. But Yancey states that grace is the church's differentiator. It's USP, if you like. We should be, as a community of believers, marked by grace, celebrate grace, and live by grace. Grace is what makes you and I countercultural. Grace is what is attractive about you. Grace is what illuminates Jesus in you. And grace is what will subversively change the world around you when we live by it. And that's not to say that working for social justice, giving to charity, seeking advice are bad or wrong. And actually, it's brilliant that other charities and organizations are doing those things. But, as they, but the thing which makes Christians different is that when we do those things, they're fueled by grace. And actually, donating to charity, helping the poor, it helps in a, for a moment. But when those actions, those good deeds are fueled by grace, it doesn't just change something for a moment, it changes something for eternity. So I'm not rubbishing good works or social action or social justice. Those things are so important, but they must be fueled by grace. The fundamental difference between Christianity and all other world religions is that other religions, it's about completing a certain criteria or certain steps or five pillars or an eightfold path to try and climb our way to God, to try and reach God in our own strength and our own actions and our own hard work. But Christianity says that whoever you are today, whatever you've done, good or bad, none of us can reach God on our own. None of us can access the perfect, holy, unchanging, all-powerful God in our own strength. Whether you feel like you've lived a moral life or whether you feel like you've lived a really immoral life and wow, I just feel ashamed. We're all in the same boat together, needing God to come to us. And we know that in the person of Jesus, God reaches down to heaven, joins us in our humanity, and dies on the cross for us. That is what makes Christianity different as a religion. God reaching out to us rather than us reaching to God. Grace is the one thing that the church has to offer that cannot be obtained anywhere else. And that is why the New Testament is absolutely full of it. Um, and we're going to read some scripture. We could read the whole New Testament. We're not going to, don't worry. Uh, its pages are, are absolutely consumed uh, by the message of grace. And I know the, the songs we sang tonight were probably picked on purpose because this is about grace. Um, but if you were listening to the words, every single word we sung was about the unmerited favor of God. The art of celebration is knowing I'm free from condemnation. What a beautiful line as we celebrate our uh, forgiveness and our redemption from Jesus. So we are going to turn to one passage only um, in Ephesians 2. So if you've got a Bible, feel free uh, to join me. If it's on your phone, feel free to load it up. Or if you would just like to look at the screens, it will appear on there as well. We're going to read from Ephesians 2 um, uh, verses 1 to 10. um, And it says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Transgressions is just another word for sin, really, when you uh, go beyond a limit. So as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. 
and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and faults. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and it speaks to us. Lord, we pray that your grace would amaze us once again, and we would commit to living in your ways. Amen. Um, grace really does appear throughout the pages um, of the New Testament. Not a single person uh, throughout the entire human history has ever, been, uh, has ever entered into a right relationship with God through anything but grace. We could go back through the Old Testament, look at Abraham or Moses or Gideon or David. We could look in the New Testament at St. Paul or St. Peter, or we could jump all the way to 2019 and look at you and I. Every single human being that's entered relationship with God, it has been done by grace. In the Old Testament, people look forward to Christ's redeeming work by faith. And in the New Testament and beyond, they gaze back upon it. But grace is always accessed in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to access relationship with God other than through Jesus Christ, the person of grace. Tozer uh, defines grace as the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. Grace is not something that God does begrudgingly or that if you meet him halfway or if you attend church for six weeks or if you pray certain prayers every day or if you stop doing that sin for at least a week, then God will extend grace to you. No, it doesn't work like that. It's the undeserving favor of God that meets us in our time of need, whatever that might be. And actually, because grace is one of God's holy attributes, it is unchanging in nature. And therefore, God's interactions with human beings, God's interactions with you and with me are always steeped in grace. There is no other way that God interacts with human beings other than with grace. God can no more hide his grace than the sun can hide its brightness. Even if you can't always see the sun's brightness in this wonderful summer weather we're having at the moment, uh, we are still living um, in the brightness of the sun. And we always will. The sun will rise tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next morning and the next morning. You can hide under a pillow, you can wear a mouse, you can cover your eyes, you can pull your curtains, but the sun will still be shining. Even if you choose to avoid it, to hide from it, the sun will still shine. We will still live in the brightness of the sun and the same is true of God's grace. Some might choose to avoid it, to hide from it, but God's grace is still poured out. There is no other way that God interacts with human beings. And I love this text we've just read from Ephesians. It paints the human condition so well. In the first three verses, St. Paul informs us of the reality of human relationships before Jesus enters the picture. 
The simple summary is we were far from God and dead. Dead to true life, dead to our real purpose, dead to who we were made to be, which is in relationship with God. Breathing and alive, living but not truly. Living and breathing but spiritually dead. We were all designed to thrive in a relationship with God. And those three verses paint the picture before Jesus enters uh, the scene. And then the beginning of verse 4 starts with my favorite word, but... And but is a conjunction that indicates the next clause in the sentence will contradict the previous one. All that really means is we're getting ready for an alternative ending. The first three verses paint this terrible picture that we are far from God and we have no way of reaching him ourselves. And then we hear that word but and there is hope. But, St. Paul starts, but because of the incomparable riches of his grace, we are saved and set free by simply putting our trust in Jesus. Paul is so clear, it's not by works, it is by grace. It is the free, unmerited gift of God that we can be set free from our sin, receive the promise of eternal life, and be in genuine friendship with the living God. It does not get any better than that. That is grace. We were once far off and now we can come close through the person of Jesus. We can be restored to our true design, our purpose of knowing God. Jesus' shocking grace towards us led him to his death on the cross. He took sin upon his shoulders. He bore our shame and our sins so that we might know God. Jesus faced separation from the Father for the first time. And as Jesus carried our sin and our shame, in that moment, God turned his back on Jesus so that he might turn his face towards you. Now in the resurrected Christ, you might know genuine friendship with the God of the universe and the promise of eternal life. It really, really doesn't get any grander than this um, in this life. And that is grace. But I think actually there's, we can go a little bit further with what grace really is by focusing on the person of Jesus. And um, I want to read a little bit to you from John 1. Um, if you are opening your Bibles, it's going to come up there and I'm going to read it quite quickly. But it's John 1 uh, verses 14 to 17 and it says this. The word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is where it's a bit of a tongue twister. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace. One version says, grace heaped upon grace. It's almost like grace and more grace and more grace. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. My ultimate favorite definition of grace is grace is God meeting us at our point of need in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of grace, the manifestation of grace. Jesus is grace and grace is Jesus. You cannot separate the two. The person of Jesus oozes grace. And I love this text in John because it corrects two mistakes we run into when we talk about grace. The first mistake it corrects is, is so often I've heard, particularly in doing youth work, if I'm really honest, I was at a youth camp this week down in West Sussex, and you see this a lot with young people, um, that, that grace is, um, is almost like a get-out-of-jail-free card. And you sort of wave it around so you can live however you like, and you know, well, God's got to forgive me because he's full of grace. And 
somewhat true, but it is most definitely an abuse of grace. It's a mistake. It's not truly uh, living in the freedom. And when I've experienced young people that have that view, they're actually not free at all. Grace has come to set us free, and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. They think they're free because they wave around this get-out-of-jail-free card that, oh, it's grace, and I worship on a Sunday, and I'll say sorry, and then I'll live however I like the rest of the week. But actually, true freedom is when we meet the person of grace, and we feel his relentless love for us. We see the nail marks in his hands. We see him upon the cross, and we go, oh my goodness, this cost Jesus everything. True grace. When we meet true grace, there, there is no way that we can live like that. And you know if you've met true grace because it changes absolutely everything. Uh, the second mistake we often, or I've often ran into when talking about grace is we believe we're saved by grace. We believe there's no way to get to God. That's the message of the gospel, the message of Christianity. But, but once we're in right relationship with God, we suddenly believe that actually to keep ourselves in right relationship with God, we must behave in a certain way. I must do these things and those things, and I, I must hem in the relationship I have with God by rules and regulations. And, and that makes sense because as human beings, it's quite pragmatic, isn't it? It helps us understand, okay, right, so now you've saved me. And if I do one, two, three, four, five, and six, then, then God will be okay with me and it will all be fine. But actually, that doesn't lead to transformation. Grace is what saves and grace is what transforms. And it's a little messier, but we need to keep meeting the person of grace, Jesus Christ. And that is what transforms. It's grace that saves, but it's also grace that transforms, not the law. Moses brought the law. But this text in John says Jesus replaces that. The grace Jesus brought replaces the grace Moses gave through the law. It's not saying the law was bad. The law was good for a time. But the grace of Jesus replaces that. Jesus is saying the law had its place. It enabled people to see their need of a saviour. But the law isn't how we get to God anymore. Grace is. This is amazing grace. That is what it is. But if we're going to understand it as a core principle, we need to consider how we live it out. Because grace is certainly free, but it isn't cheap. In fact, Bonhoeffer said it will cost you everything. As you receive grace, how do you then go on to live that out? Well, it's costly. Just like the grace Jesus brings cost him everything to the point of death. So as we try to live like Jesus and live out grace, it costs us. And if we're going to recognize this as a core principle as a community, we need to consider that it's costly to live grace-fueled lives. Because once we've got grace, we give grace. Grace is God's given power to live differently, and we have to actively choose to live in that. So it's the idea that grace, getting grace isn't an end in itself, but rather it's a door or a first step to a new life lived as God had designed it to be lived. Tim Keller says, Christianity is a door that leads to a long road, not a long road that leads to a door. Grace invites us through the door with zero requirements, conditions or behaviors. And whatever you do, grace keeps you in that door. But actually, if you want to move forward into the life that God has got for you, then we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus, i.e. grace-fueled. John 1 says, out of his fullness we have received grace heaped upon grace. And that's a contagious way to live. 
uh, and grace heaped upon grace. It rubbed off on those first disciples. I mean, it took a while. If you read the Gospels, the disciples didn't quite get it for a few years. And maybe that tells us something as 21st century disciples of Jesus. That if we hear a message tonight, when we wake up tomorrow morning, we suddenly won't be a whole new person and everything changes. This is a lifelong commitment. This uh, commitment to live out the Jesus life requires discipline and steadfastness. Things don't change overnight. Just like the disciples, it takes years. But eventually, Eventually, grace heaped upon grace rubbed off on those first disciples and Jesus' tolerance became theirs. Jesus' style became theirs. His humility, compassion, acceptance, warmth uh, were absorbed by those disciples and ultimately transformed their lives. And over time, by being with Jesus, they become like Jesus. So their lifestyles, eventually when Jesus ascended to heaven, their lifestyles illuminated Jesus and it led to the greatest revolution we have ever seen to the point where there's now two billion Christians on this earth and many more who have already passed into heaven. One commentator says, love that goes upwards is worship, love that goes outwards is affection, and love that stoops is grace. And I love that. Almost every encounter, if you flick through a a gospel in the Bible, almost every encounter Jesus has with human beings, he stoops. Even to the point in one story, his physical posture is stooping. When the woman is caught in adultery and the religious leaders want to stone her, he doesn't even say anything. He just gets down on the ground and his posture speaks grace. Sometimes even the words of Jesus don't need to be said to to ooze grace. But whether it be the woman caught in adultery, whether it be the the disabled man at, at the pool of Beth, cedar, whether it be the woman who had five husbands at the well, every encounter Jesus has, he stoops and he pours out grace. And Jesus' encounters were often with the marginalized, the poor, the lonely, and they constantly involve stooping. And our call, if we're going to live grace-fueled lives, is to stoop as well. We are called to stoop. But the truth is, stooping or grace, it isn't often fancy or flamboyant. It generally doesn't come with fireworks. It doesn't attract a big scene and a big crowd. It's normally found in the small daily decisions we make to forgive the person you know is going to wrong you again in two weeks, to be patient with your co-worker who really gets on your nerves, to prefer others, to raise up others when you know actually that glory should be yours, to be humble in your relationships. Grace is often found in the small decisions we make that nobody sees. It's involved in preferring others and loving those who are hard to love and sacrificing the little you have for the good of others. The reality is our relationship with Jesus is ignited by grace and therefore our lifestyle should also be ignited by grace. But grace, this world needs grace so bad but often it doesn't accept it. And the reason it doesn't accept it is because it comes from a value system different from the one that governs this world. It's the antithesis of the first for power and the enemy of looking out for number one, which so defines our world. Our world's value system is absolutely opposite to the value system of the kingdom of God. Grace is the opposite. It treats people as they don't deserve again and again and again and again. It is the opposite of the first for power and the seeking uh, out of for number one. Self-preservation is the way of the world. Self-sacrifice is the way of grace. What will we choose as we leave this building tonight, as we finish church? 
as we leave these four walls where it's nice to worship and hear the word of God and pray for one another, but how will we carry the grace we've sung about in our daily interactions tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and when we're really tired and fed up on Thursday? How will we carry that self-sacrificial grace and stooping? The truth is it's not something you can do on your own. You can't leave this building tonight and go, I'm going to be grace-filled tomorrow. You might be able to fake it for a few days. You might be able to force it for a few days. But actually the real uh, deep work um, is when we walk with Jesus and allow grace heaped upon grace, just like the disciples, to rub off on us. Because actually my goal is not that I force grace with my colleagues and my family and my friends, but that grace comes naturally to me just like it did Jesus. I long for that day where I don't have to second guess myself. Oh, is that the right thing to do? Is it not? I long for the day just like Jesus. Jesus, where I just ooze grace, where, where I stoop in every interaction that I have, even when I don't want to, because it just comes naturally, because I've spent so much time with Jesus. But the reality is true grace that asks for nothing in return is not an end in itself. As you give yourself away, our lives become worship to God. Our world is transformed little by little, and we are also transformed. Jesus most famously said it himself when he said these words, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Somehow, in the kingdom of God, as we give ourselves away by grace, we find the greatest, most fulfilling life possible. And that, as a core principle, is going to change our community. I genuinely, genuinely believe that. But it's not going to happen overnight. This is a journey we have to go on over the next uh, months and years. So how do we rub shoulders with the person of Jesus? Of course, uh, Jesus is no longer physically here like he was with the disciples. So we access Jesus through the Spirit of God. And, uh, and actually, when we think about discipleship, there's really three main aims of discipleship. It's to be with your teacher, so to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Those are the aims of discipleship, and that is how we begin to access this grace-filled life. And, and I really, um, I'm going to wrap up here so the band can come and join me. That would be wonderful. Otherwise, I will just keep talking. Um, I'm good at that. It's, the, it's te- teachers. You plan a 50-minute lesson, realize it's nearly finished, and then just keep talking. So excuse me for talking a lot. Um, But I'm going to wrap up here. Dallas Willard said this quote, which I've been reflecting on a lot over the last few days, and it's really began to change my outlook. He said this, uh, The biggest need facing our world is if the professing Christians will become disciples. Surely that's the same thing, Dan, Christian disciple. Actually, what I think he's trying to argue is that actually a a professing Christian might be someone who who comes to space where Christians gather, like this, like church, like uh, maybe a midweek group. Maybe even they read their Bible on their own in the morning, but actually they're Christian in those moments, but then the rest of the week they look like the world. They thirst for power. They, they look after number one. How can we go from professing Christians, and if I'm really honest with you, there's points when I live like that. How can we go from professing Christians to disciples of Jesus where we stoop in our everyday interactions, where we pursue grace with all that we have? And so tonight, my, my challenge really, um, and then we're going to hand over to the band and we're going to worship and then we're going to respond. My challenge is, maybe you've never ever received grace Tonight's your night. <laughs> Jesus is here and he wants to pour out grace upon you so that you know you're, you, there is no more condemnation. The joy of celebration is that you have been set free. That might be some of us tonight. For, for others, it might be the commitment, you know what, I've received this grace, now I need to live like it. 
And that really um, is our goal tonight. So I'm going to pray, we're going to worship, and then we will respond.